Good morning, everybody. You don't know me, I'm Pastor Mark, and um, we're trying to get better at introducing ourselves. So they actually wrote it down for me up here that I'm supposed to do it, and I wrote it in here, and I wanted to say, I'm Pastor Mark, I'm an Aries, and I like long walks on the beach. Um, no, that's not, not true, but uh, I do like long walks on the beach, I don't know what I am, but, uh, but anyways... Um, good morning. And before we're gonna, we're gonna, minute, we're going to have a baby dedication. Before we do that, though, I want to I wanna address something really cool. Um, and I'm going to ask you a question over here. He does not know I'm going to do this. Mike, do we have any, have we, have we talked at all about my sermon? Do you have any idea what I'm preaching about today? Okay. So, in worship, um, our worship teams just felt, Pastor Mitch felt, he should pause. And it was before a, a, a phrase, a, a section in a song where he's going to say, Holy Spirit, just come and fill us. And we took time in that, in that silence, and in that, Mike felt like the Holy Spirit, so we believe this, is kind of funny because people get weirded out by this sometimes, we believe that God is present, right? The Holy Spirit is, is God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and you guys, all we do this, we pray, right? We pray for answers, and we, and we hope for answers, and we, we expect God to connect with us, to somehow be able to move us and communicate with us. Well, he does that by the Holy Spirit. And so the Bible talks about in the New Testament church, which we are, that um, there are various ways the Holy Spirit will minister to us and through us. Um, in a couple different places, Romans has a list, 1 Corinthians 12 has a list of ways the Holy Spirit is active in the church. And one of the ways that the Holy Spirit is active in the church when we gather are through um, what we call like manifestation gifts. There's a gift, a word of, of, of prophecy, a word of wisdom, where somebody will say, I feel like God wants me to say this. Sometimes it's in a public setting. A lot of times it's just in private where I feel the Holy Spirit wants me to say this to a person. We just believe that the Spirit can communicate with us. Well, during service today... Mike felt led, and I'm not talking to him about this, but felt led like the Holy Spirit is wanting me to say something for the church. We give freedom for that in our church. And within, restri- within restrictions, if we see somebody that we think is, if somebody would do that and it seems out of line or we don't know who that person is, we're like, no, 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 just hold that to yourself. But people who are part of our body and we're walking with the Lord, they feel that we give them the freedom to do that. And Mike felt led that. And interestingly, as I was in worship, I knew somebody, in my spirit, I knew that somebody was going to speak. I just knew it. And usually God will actually show me who it's going to be. I just knew it was going to happen today at that moment. Mike speaks, and here's the reason I bring this all up, because somebody could go, what a bunch of loony nonsense. That's a bunch of garbage. And I was raised in a dominant church. I never heard of any of this stuff. It's all over the Bible and New Testament, but I never heard about it because I never read the Bible. Um, but I was baptized and confirmed. I just never read the Bible. And... Then I started reading the Bible, and it's all over the New Testament, how the Holy Spirit operates. I think God wants you to understand how real he is today and how real that he, he's so able, he actually can communicate with us and somebody can listen because you're going to find out in a few minutes when I get to my sermon, my sermon is about the joy of the Lord. Walk, how do you walk in the joy of the Lord? It's actually going to be based on that verse right there. I'm going to mention in my sermon that it's on this wall, and it's on the wall of my kitchen. It's in my sermon. I'm going to mention that, that how do we walk in the joy of the Lord? Your message was summarized, how to walk in the joy of the Lord. You actually said, and I'm going, he's preaching my stinking sermon. 
you know? And I'm like, don't rob me of my sermon. But I'm like, wait a minute, God's trying to say something to us today. And it's, it, yes, it's about the joy of the Lord. How do we, how do we, and we're, I'm going to give a whole sermon, 30 minutes about walking in the joy of the Lord. So we'll talk about that. But more so, I think right now, he wants to just let you know that he's real and he's present and he's able to communicate with us. And so like when you're here and God is trying to, you're just living your life and, you're, and you have the sense that God is working your life, God does these various gifts as a way just to reveal to us that he really is here and he's really real. And a lot of times we just don't think that. We just think that God's distant. No, God's not. He's really real. And I think God is trying to show that to us today. Does that make sense? All right. So I know I just preached you a sermon before I preached you a sermon. But uh, I had to. I'm going to move over here because I always move over here for a baby dedication. We are so fortunate today to get to dedicate. I love the fact that we have baby dedications all the time. Because you guys are having babies all the time, and it's great um, to see life in a church. Nothing worse than being part of a church. It's just old, old people. We love a church that has every age in it, um, from baby to, to as old as we become. And so I'd like to invite this morning the Carlins, Corey and Nikki Carlin, to come on up here. And uh, I think, I don't know if they're bringing JoJo or Cece, and baby Camden. All right. Hey, JoJo and Cece, come on up here. How are you doing? Are you having a good morning, Cece? Yeah. Aren't these people really nice? They are really nice. They're, aren't they? They're kind of nice looking too, aren't they? They're kind of cute. Hey, Jojo. Jojo is one of Brett's best friends, my grandsons. Or Levi. What did I say? Brett. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I do that all the time. I call my grandson Brett. Brett's our son. All the time. So, Brett, you and, you and Jojo go play in the swings afterwards if you want. But hey, this is an awesome family. We love you guys. And uh, boy, you have a beautiful family. You're the thorns surrounded by roses here, aren't you? You're a bunch of beautiful girls. So hey, you know, baby dedication is um, something that we, that, you know, we do our best to try to figure out how does God want us to, as a church family, as individual families, how do we, how do we live this life with him? And um, we see in Scripture Jesus' attitude towards families and little children. I want to read a text for you because I think sometimes we think this. We say, well, Jesus doesn't have time for little kids. He's too busy. The Bible says exactly the opposite. It says in Matthew 19, it says, it's talking about Jesus. It says, one day some parents, that's you guys, brought their children, that's you guys, to Jesus. And I'm not Jesus, but he's here with us by his Spirit. Um, so that he could lay hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering Jesus. But Jesus said, let the children come to me, don't stop them. And if you look at the text, it has an exclamation point. Don't stop them. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these little children. And so we see that Jesus didn't think that, that he was above being bothered by little children, and that in essence, he said, nothing's really more important than stopping, and he wanted to lay his hands on them and pray and bless those little children. And he says this crazy kind of thing, that the kingdom of heaven, so walking in relationship with him, we got to become like little children, that, that something about little children um, reveals how we should be towards God. 
And really what he's referring to there is our, the, the, we can look at kids and parents and say, what do we learn about, about their relationship with their parents? Because that tells us what our relationship with God to be like. So what we know is they trust mom and dad. When they're up here, what do they do? They cling to mom and dad. Sometimes when I get by them, they run away from Pastor Mark, you know, because they know where they can trust. They know who's going to provide for them. They know who's going to protect them. They know who's going who's to train them in the right ways. It's mom and dad. And God says that two things here. Number one, that's how we should be towards God. We should have this relationship. We understand that everything comes from him. We need to trust him. We look to him for everything. But also it says that God's given for you guys as parents this relationship that you guys get to be the ones on God's behalf. Was that for me? Thank you. That get to do that. That they get to raise these children for the Lord and by his, by his strength and power. So he's entrusted the kids to you so that you can care for them. Dad, you can protect them. Get a big stick because you've got three beautiful girls. You know, um, So protect them, care for them, provide for them. Most importantly... Help them come to discover Jesus for themselves. Because that's the number one job of a parent. You know, we raise them, we do all these things so that we can then help them whenever they're emotionally and intellectually ready. And that's different for every child. But that they can then say yes to Jesus themselves. So we understand something about a dedication. A dedication, we're following a pattern from the Old Testament where a lady named Hannah understood the children were a gift and came and give them, gave them back to the Lord. And we understand that that idea of kind of symbolically giving them back to the Lord is saying, they're yours, we're raising them for you, you help us. But we also recognize something else in that. This action does not lead them to Jesus. That, you want your toy back on? That this action is a commitment for mom and dad to raise them for the Lord so that they, at, a, at the earliest age possible, can come to know Christ. Now, I wasn't raised in a family that explained that, but I know from my own wife, she says, you know, she knew at seven years old that she was saved and called it to be a full-time ministry. You know, at seven, you know, at seven, I was playing with G.I. Joes. I don't know what else, but I didn't think about the Lord. But, but you did at seven, you know, and um, so at some age, you guys get to lead them into knowing Christ themselves. So dedication is a time we're committing. Parents are committing to raising these kids, providing, protecting, but most importantly, raising them so that they will know Jesus. Not also the time of commitment for the rest of us. We have grandmas and grandpas here. We got a church family here. And we are committing. We stand up. That's why we stand up here. We don't do it in a private ceremony. We stand up here and we say, guess what? Camden is now part of our family. And what happens when somebody's part of your family? If you're a healthy family. (laughs) You care for them. You provide for them. You protect them. So not only do mom and dad have that responsibility, we do. So in these girls, what I want every kid in this church to say on Monday morning is, is it church day? Dad, is it church day? Tuesday, mom, is it church day? Wednesday, is it church day? Yeah, we're going to church tonight. Because I want them, I want this to be the greatest place on planet Earth for these kids. Because they're going to have their attitude towards Jesus shaped by you and me. And if we are kind and loving and gracious, um, and we, we get down on the ground and we, we talk to them like this, and we tell them they're important, and we love on them for Jesus, they will automatically learn that Jesus loves them. They're going to learn it through us, right? And so we have a responsibility too. So I'm going to ask Corey and Nikki this morning 
I'm just going to ask you a, a charge. It's basically saying, will you do this? And if you do, please answer with, yes, we do. And then, then we're going to pray over uh, Camden. So Corey and Nikki, before God and this congregation, do you promise to raise Camden for God, being godly examples and seeking to lead her to Jesus at an early age? All right. Then will I be able to take her without her going ballistic, crying? Hey, sweetie pie, you gave me your toys already. Why don't you say hi to all your church family? Look at, look at, look at your church family. They all love you. Yes, they're all here for you. You know that? We're all here for you. Would you guys just just extend a hand towards us and let's pray for this family in, in Camden. Father, thank you so much for the Carlins. Lord, thank you for bringing them to our church family and that we have got the joy of seeing them just grow and develop in you, and that, Lord, we get the privilege of being this, this part of their children's life also. So, Lord, we pray that you will give them everything they need, all the courage and the wisdom and the grace that they need to raise these beautiful girls for you. And, Lord, we pray that they would all have, have your protection upon them. And, Lord, we pray for Camden that as she grows that, Lord, everything about her life would be, would be just protected by you. Lord, watch over her in a crazy world. Let, let this family know and let her know that your love will extend to wherever you lead her. So, Lord, bless and provide and care for her, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, sweetie. You want to go back by mom and dad? You want to go back there? Hey, let's give these guys a hand this morning. Well... Well, one of you girls like to carry that. That's a present for Camden. And you guys can open that up later. Hey, love you guys. All right. Give these guys another hand as they head back to their seat. Bye, girls. Bye-bye. See you later. Is there anything cuter in the world, huh? Nothing better. All right. Pastor Paul said this earlier, but wasn't Easter awesome? Day one, we had a day one thing, you know, where we spent six weeks leading up to Easter, focused on Easter Sunday, but not focused just on Easter Sunday, focused on develop, re-kind of jump-starting our culture around here, post-COVID, the whole world's changed, develop, you know, tweaking our culture to remind us that, give us hope again that, that God is still changing lives, that God is still working through you and me to reach out to other people and so it's been neat to see as, as we did all that, and we invited people, and we, we hoped it wouldn't be an Easter thing. It would be a change of culture thing so that every week you're bringing your friends and your family with you to church so they can come to know Jesus as their own Savior. And so as part of our, of our day one initiative, that six weeks leading up to Easter, we introduced to, to all of you, made available to all of you, uh, a, a new curriculum called Follow. And follows is basically about the seven attributes of a person who's going to follow after Jesus. And so we had all these trainings, and like 60-plus of you went through training. And, um, and it's, it's designed so that any one of us can take these very simple materials, and we can just help somebody who's saying, I'm, I'm wondering about Christ, or I'm going to follow Jesus. And we can just walk through, going through the lessons with them. And that, that person, you're not, we're not, as a, not as, a, as a teacher, but as a friend, just walking through these very basic Bible things with them. And so the well, cool thing is we've got a number of people right now that are going through follow with other people. 
And so we're, we're so excited about that, just thinking going forward, we want this to be part of the DNA of our church, that we understand that, that every one of us, when God connects you with somebody, that God can help you, can you work through you and me to help anybody else begin to follow after Jesus. And so it's a tool that we're just going to use to do that. So as a way, because we're just done with those six weeks, that day one initiative, as a way um, to, to help our church family, what we're going to do from this Sunday for the, for the next seven Sundays is we are going to one Sunday at a time go through one week each of the seven attributes from follow the attributes of a Christ follower. And we're going to cover these basic things. So it's going to help all of us. If you're personally going through the material with somebody, you're going through the material yourself, or, or just good stuff, I'd say this. It'd be a great seven-week series to bring a friend. It's going to go through this basic idea of what it is to follow after, after Jesus, looking at these seven attributes of a Christ follower. And so today, we're going to look at what the materialist is, the first attribute of somebody who follows after Christ, and it's this. A person who's going to be a follower of Christ must, first of all, learn to be with Jesus. That Christianity is about a relationship. It's about being with Jesus. Just, just newsflash, it's not about keeping a list of rules. It's not about being a member of a church. It's not about carrying a big, heavy Bible around. You know, It's about being in relationship with Jesus. So where Christianity begins is learning to be with Jesus. In one of my life verses, matter of fact, as I said to you earlier, it is so important to me that it's on the wall of our sanctuary, it's on the soffit above our stove in our kitchen, is from Psalm 1611, and it says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. See, what I'm learning to come to know more as I follow Jesus is that it's only in the very real presence of God in my everyday life where I find true joy and fulfilling pleasure. That's the only place I find. There's all other kinds of things that give you something and some positive things, but the only place in life where I find real joy and fulfilling pleasures in the presence of the Lord. It's what this verse on the wall says. In your what? In your presence. It doesn't say, because you give me nice stuff, I find fullness of joy. It says, in the presence of God, I find fullness, fullness of joy at God's right hand, at your right hand, at the Lord's right hand, meaning in his presence, there are pleasures forevermore. See, the abundant life that Jesus promised to his followers, and Jesus promised an abundant life. People got this misnomer that following Jesus is boring. Following Jesus, you've got to give everything up. Following Jesus is, is you know, oh, I'd be a Christian if, it wasn't, if, if I didn't have to give all that stuff up and live like a monk on a monastery somewhere. Well, that's not what God says about following him. In John 10, 10, he says this, I came that you may have life and have it what? Abundantly overjoying. This abundant life, friends, though, is only found in the presence of the Lord. It's not found. And we spend our whole lives, if you boil your life down, we really spend our whole lives trying to answer this verse. Where do I find joy? Where do I find pleasure? You know where it's not found? It's not found in just having good, solid principles to apply to your life, even that come out of the Word of God. 
lot of people look at this Bible like a textbook. And it's just a textbook. What are the good principles I can live my life on? Well, anybody can do that, a Christ follower or not a Christ follower. You won't find full joy and, 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 and great pleasure in just living by the principles of Scripture. It's not found in following religious rules and regulations or becoming part of an organization. And friends, it's also not found in any other activities or accomplishments that the world could ever offer to us. The abundant life of joy and pleasure that Jesus promises to his followers is only found in the very real presence of God in an everyday life. You see, we need to understand something about Christianity. Christianity is all about the presence of God among humankind. That's what Christianity is. It's, that's what makes it different than anything else. Christianity is all about the presence of God among us. So there are these, these main Christian words that get thrown around. And you hear about them in songs and hymns, you know, certain times of the year maybe, where these terms get thrown around, but these terms are the things that explain what Christianity is. And, and one of those words is that Christianity is about Emmanuel. When would you say Emmanuel? What time of the year? Christmas. Emmanuel. You know, and it says Emmanuel. What's it mean? God with us. That's what the word means. Emmanuel is God with us. God with us. And another Christian word. Christianity is all about the incarnation. The incarnation is simply means Jesus becoming flesh and dwelling among us. So at, at Christmas, we talk about the incarnation, that Jesus came, that God became a human. See, Christianity is all about the presence of God dwelling among, with mankind. That's what the fullness of God is all about. We have terms like this, the baptism in the Spirit, or the fullness of the Spirit, kind of things we talked about today. It's all about, it's about this, uh, this lifestyle of inviting the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, to be the center of your world, to fill your life, to live your life out, to live out your life in the reality of the presence and the fullness of God. So that's what Christianity is all about. But we have to understand some things about that. Just because the presence of God is among us by the presence of the Holy Spirit, and we've talked about that today, that does not automatically mean anyone and everyone lives in an awareness of his very real presence. That, according to what we just read, that very real presence that is the fountain from which the life of joy and pleasure will flow. So just because God's here doesn't mean everybody's aware of him, and if we're not aware of him, we're not living in his presence in the way that necessarily will result in the life of joy and pleasure. You see, God has done and is doing his part. He is here and he's available for us, that he's reaching out to us. Right now, the fact that you're here and God has created the world in such a way that the gifts of the Spirit function and they call somebody to preach and the preacher preaches a message from his word, that's all God reaching out through his hands and his feet, which are the body. So God's done his, God is doing his part, but we need to do our part in order to live in or be aware of the presence of God in our lives. You see, we play a vital role in the relationship. Now, I'm not talking about keeping a bunch of rules and regulations. I'm talking rather about living your life with a posture toward life where you see your life, you really see everything in relationship to the presence of God, and we welcome his presence into our lives. 
for us to, to live in the presence of God that is real and available, we must be continually aware of his presence and posture ourselves in a way that looks for his presence all the time, that cultivates our awareness of his presence continually. And Jesus tried to explain this. He tried to explain it many different ways in scriptures. And one of the ways he tried to explain this idea of how we live in his fullness is when he gave a particular word picture in the Gospel of John to help us understand this. And so turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 15. And I'd say this, if you're a new follower of Christ, you need to get a good Bible. And uh, we can help you figure out what that new Bible is. We actually have Bibles for you that we'll give you. Um, But you need to get a good Bible and learn to look for God in the Scriptures because he gave us this as a gift, the Bible. And so turn to John 15. We'll get there in a second. We're going to look at it. Um, as I read this text, I'm going to read John 15, 1 to 11. As I read this text, I want, here's, here's your job. I want you to pay attention to what Jesus says is our part in the relationship with him, okay? So the text will also be up on the screen. So John 15, 1 to 11, pay attention. What's your part in the, in the, in the, um, of the relationship? So it says, Jesus is speaking here. He says, I am the true vine. He's giving a farming illustration here about a grapevine. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father, so God the Father in heaven, is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch in me, he's going to explain that in a minute, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that, that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which you have, which is spoken to you. Some of your translations will say, you've already been pruned. In verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus says, I am the vine, he's the vine. You, a Christ follower, are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so proved to me my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, did you see it? Did you see your part? Our part in the relationship, according to verse 11, that will result in joy, is that we will abide with Jesus. Think about that. We will abide with Jesus. Our part of the relationship is to, what's abiding? Is to get connected and to stay connected to Jesus. That's what abiding is all about. Jesus uses this word picture that is so, really, is farming picture, easy to understand. He says, he is the vine, We are the branches, and the branches have one job to do in order to produce the fruit of joy and love and peace. Their job, he says, is to abide. The branch's role is to simply stay connected. 
to simply abide to the vine, to connect, to hold on to the vine. If the branches stay connected, according to the, the illustration, they will receive the power of the presence of God like a vine receives sap, a branch receives sap from the vine, that they will receive the power of his presence, which we said is the Holy Spirit, and the spiritual fruit will then result of love and joy and peace. You see, we do play a part in it. We are to abide. We are to stay connected. If we stay connected, God's presence is in us. If God's presence is in us, so that we're in his presence at his right hand, then we will have joy and pleasures. Well, this is where I think the word picture, it seems so easy, might come up a little short. Because I think as we think of this image, it's a, it's a, it's a um, grape vine growing out of the ground. It's got a vine. It's got branches. As we picture it, and God's plan is for us to picture it in our mind. That's why he gives us word pictures. To picture it in our mind to understand what he's trying to communicate. I think that as we think of this image, we can't really imagine how the branches wouldn't be abiding. Like it's a vine and branches. How couldn't they abide? They are connected. They grow. And the branches grow off the vine. And they're connected. It seems so natural. It seems so automatic. If it gets food and you know, nutrients and water, the vine grows. Branches sprout out. They're connected. And we, just, we look at it and you say, you know, so you're, it's automatic being connected to the vine. We say things like this. Well, I'm a Christian. I prayed a prayer. I gave my life to Jesus. I go to church sometimes. I I even serve at times if I'm asked to. And it just seems like I'm connected. And I would just say this. Maybe and maybe not. Maybe not. Now, I don't think in any way that I can improve on Jesus' teaching. I'm not trying to say Jesus didn't teach it right here. But if I were to tell the story, I would have the branches have hands on. I know that'd be creepy because branches don't have hands, but I would make sure the branches in your picture had hands, okay? Because the branches would have hands that they would have to use to grip onto the vine. Now, I really do believe that's exactly what Jesus is trying to say here without him saying it, but I want to make that point that the branches would have to have hands to hold on to the vine. The vine have to be the vine, they have to have a part of, of maintaining the relationship, you know. Um, they at least, the least they need to do is to hold on, to cling on to the vine. And that holding on the vine is what I mean when I say that we have to have a posture toward life where we see everything in relationship to being in the presence of God. Remember, this is what we know. We said at the beginning, these are the Christian words that we know. God is with us. Emmanuel. Jesus has become flesh and dwells among us, the incarnation. So he's here. But for us to experience his presence, and we say he's here, for us to experience his presence in a continual and a meaningful way, we must stay connected. Our hands must cling to the vine. We must live in a posture of always looking to live in the reality of the available presence of God. So what do we do? We structure, how do I hold on? We structure our lives in ways that help us be aware of the presence of God. For me, I use an image, and I've shared this with you a few times in my life because I've used it for, for a decade now. I use an image, I actually have a bracelet that says it on it. If I ever get a tattoo, it's the tattoo I'll get. I don't have a tattoo. I'm the only one in my family without a tattoo. If I ever get a tattoo, it's what my tattoo will say. It'll say this, 
tend the flame. Tend the flame or tend the fire. I keep this image, this image in my mind of how, how do I keep connected to the vine? I remind myself of it. I try to every day. How do, I, how do I tend the fire or feed the flame? Well, first of all, every morning when I get up, I want to reignite the flame spiritually in my life. So what do I do? And I, I've shared these things with you. I have a morning confession I pray through. In, the, in, my, in my bed, before we start to talk, I try to pray through in my mind because I usually wake up before Suzanne or at least I talk before she talks. Uh, <laughs> surprise. And, uh, <laughs> um, and I pray silently in my head through this, through this confession that, that's for me. I pray, I pray these truths. I have them written on a piece of paper next to my bed. I don't have to look at them because I remember them, so I just pray through them in my head. And then, almost every morning, we snuggle up together and we pray for each other. And it takes a couple of minutes. Sometimes it takes 10 minutes. Sometimes it takes two minutes. We pray for each other. We pray for you. We pray for our kids. We, we pray for each other. We pray for Suzanne's health or whatever I'm dealing with. We, we pray together. It just takes a few minutes, and then um, I usually, after that, at some point before I run out the door, I spend going to my office, and I spend some time reading the scriptures and sitting in the presence of the Lord. So what I'm doing is I'm igniting the flame. And then throughout the day, I don't just forget about it, and here's the process. The thing, you, say, you just forget about it the rest of the day, and you say, well, you know, Pastor Mark, it's easy for you not to forget about it because, well, you work at the church. I've worked all kinds of jobs. This is the same job like any other job. You go, that's not true. It is true. Come follow us for a day. One minute you're dealing with contractors who are installing bathrooms. The next thing you're dealing with somebody with a leak in the ceiling. This week we had because the furnaces weren't working in one part of the building. And then we're dealing with somebody who's got this problem and somebody's got that problem. And then we're dealing with you know, finances and all this. It's, it's, it's a job. And it's very easy to get sucked into the job and forget about Jesus. So I have to remind myself, tend the flame, Mark. So in between meeting with this person and this person, I'll often try to sit down and give myself five minutes and decompress. And I've got, my, I've got number one, a whole bunch of devotionals that come out of my phone every day. And I've got devotionals that come my back by my office. And I'll pull one out and I'll read a short little devotion. Why am I doing? I'm just trying to, to put more fuel on the fire. Get the flame burning. I go through the day that way. I try to remember to do that. And before bed, I try to stoke the fire again. I try to just examine my day. Spiritual lectures I call the examen. I try to just go through my day in my head and try to see where did I meet with God, where did I miss God, what went good, what went bad, and how can I sit God, how can I have a better day tomorrow? And I try to structure my life like that. Like, that's my structure. I live that, that structure, you know, almost every day. It's how I live my life. And this structure, for me, my structure is different to yours. It's not about law. Like, if I get up and, and I'm going to go fishing, guess what? I'll probably skip all of it. <laughs> and run out to get my boat in the water and go catch fish, and I'll enjoy God and the beauty of his creation. Because I'm up before you know, at old dark 30, and I'm like, ah, I'm you know, getting up to an alarm. I don't want to do it. It's not law. It's wisdom. Wisdom says, how do I structure my life in such a way that I'm clinging onto the vine? I'm living my life in such a way, in a posture towards life, where I see everything in my life in relationship to the presence of God. So I think the idea of branches... Having hands helps us understand this, that we hold on to Jesus. And I think the idea of branches having hands tells us something else about our relationship of abiding. And I think this is really important in our culture. Really, really important, so I need you to hear me. My hands can only hold on to so many things at one time. See, the other day, we're so blessed we have a fireplace in our house. We, we 
we, we burn lots of dead trees. <laughs> we have lots of fires. And uh, um, the other day, I was trying to come in, and I, I go, and I have a little hatchet in my garage, and I chop this kindling up, and I saw I had a pile of kindling, and I've got some wood, and I'm coming into the garage, and I had sweater on, so I don't want to get the stuff dirty and touch me, so I'm holding this pile, and I'm trying to open the garage door. And what happens? There's a piece, there's a piece, pick it up, there's a piece, pick it up. Finally, I'm like, put it down, open the garage door, open it up, pick it back up, walk in, slam the door at your foot, you know, and, and walk in. I couldn't carry all the wood and open up the door at the same time. I had to let go of one thing to grasp on to another thing. Friends, this is true spiritually. You can only hold on to so many things at one time without other things being dropped. And I think the most important question any of us could ask ourselves today as we're looking at this topic, is there some things that I have to let go of in my life in order to cling on to the vine with both hands? Are there some things that that might be fine in themselves, but they literally don't lead me toward God, they don't make me more connected to God, they actually lead me away from God and leave me feeling disconnected from God? There's some things that I need to do, some things I have to let go of. What are the most important things in my life to cling to? And think of this. Think of the word picture. Do I just want to cling on to the vine at one finger? Just barely dangling on with one finger? I don't think it's a salvation issue. It's a joy and pleasure issue. And here's the deal. The one finger Christian hanging on the vine who's trying to do everything else on planet Earth to find joy and pleasure doesn't find joy and pleasure. But the one who says, I'm going to let go of some of these things and holds on to Jesus with with their dear life, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. That's not Mark. That's not pop psychology. That's Holy Spirit-inspired scripture teaching us where do we find the goodness that God developed. He created us to live in his goodness. And how do we find it? Jesus said, cling on to the vine. Have a posture, a focus in life where in everything I'm asking, how am I connecting to Jesus in this? Because that's the avenue to discovering the joy and the pleasure of his presence that he wants to give me. Having an awareness of wanting to be engaged in his available presence because in his presence is fullness of joy. Friends, it's just worth it to let go of some things that keep us from Jesus and to cling to him with all that we have. So maybe today, there are some things that you'd be wise to let go of. It'd be a great day to make that commitment in your heart. Invite the worship team to come up this morning. As we close this, this is what I want us to think about. Maybe as I've been talking, especially this end part here, there's some things that in your mind, you're just looking at it, you're thinking of yourself. Remember, picture yourself, you're a little branch, there's your little face and your little hands. And you're clinging on to the vine and you go, you know what, I can't really cling on very well because I'm clinging on to a whole bunch of other stuff that's it's actually not even neutral. It's actually leading me away from God. I would say this, the greatest gift you could give yourself today is to let those things go. Just make a decision in your heart today. I'm going to let them go. I'm going to give more of my energy to Jesus. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, We've looked at the fact, and you've proven yourself today, not that you need to prove yourself, but you've helped us to understand that you're here. 
you had a, a prophetic word in our worship time that basically explained what I've just explained in, in this message. That you are the fountain of joy. And Lord, you're offering us something. You're saying that all those rest of those things you're going to run to that you think, that we think would bring us joy, aren't going to do it. And you don't want us to waste our lives. You don't want us to waste our energy. You don't want us to get to the end of the road someday and go, man, I ran after all the wrong stuff. And it didn't really bring me joy. It didn't really bring me pleasure. I thought I was sure it was going to. But it didn't do it. You show us where the the real joy, real pleasure come from. It's that abiding presence of your spirit in our lives. And so, Lord, right now, we know that you love us. And you'd only ever speak to us by your spirit in, in our souls to things that would be better for you move us in the right direction which is toward you you rescue us when we're stuck in stuff that's bad you redirect us when we're in the process of going in directions that will destroy us and hurt us and God I'm grateful for that so in these moments Lord Holy Spirit for each one of it's going to be different would you speak to each and every one of us just in the quietness of our souls. Show us if there's things that we need to let go. Some addictions, some relationships, some false beliefs, some overactivity. Show us what that one might be. Not for somebody else, but for us. Show me me. Show everybody else them. So now, just in the reality of your presence in this place, just between us and you, we hand those things over to you. We let go of them with a hand that's been clinging to them. And we cling on to you. Just you. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You know, as we're praying, maybe there's you need to let go of something else in your life. Maybe you need to let go of your old life. A life without Jesus in it. A life where you are God and He is not. And you know if you're living that life. I know if I'm living that life. I'm not talking about attending a church service. I'm not talking about having your name on a roster of some religious organization or being a good person. I'm talking about a life where you are your own God. And Jesus is not. What you can do right now is you can let go of that old life too. And you can cling on to Jesus. It's an act of your will. 
just like letting go of the firewood and clinging onto the door handle. It's an act of your will. You say, I'm going to turn. The Bible calls it repentance. You turn from doing one thing and you turn to doing another thing. Your mind says, you know what, I need, I need to follow the Lord Jesus. And as a, as a result, you change. You, you let go of one. You let go of the old life and you cling on to a new life. And if something inside of you is saying today that that's for you and you've never asked Christ into your life, that something is the Holy Spirit we've been talking about today. His presence is here when we gather in a very special and powerful way. And he's speaking to you. And he's kindly and gently inviting you to follow him, to become his own, to leave the old past and He loves to forgive all the junk. He loves to forgive. He doesn't make us grovel. He loves to forgive. He forgives our sin. He forgives our junk. He makes us brand new. He'd love to do that for you. You could say yes to Jesus by praying to him something like this. You do it right now in the quietness of of your seat. Say, Jesus, I need you. I want to turn away from my old life. I want to let go of it. I even need you to help me break the grip of it. I want to change direction. And I want to turn to you and I want to cling on to you. And I don't even know what that exactly means. But I want to cling on to you today. I want to begin my life following you. And so on this day... I make that decision to turn in a new direction and now follow after you, Jesus, as my Savior, the one who saved me from my sin, and my Lord, the one who leads me through life. So today, Jesus, I cling on to you.